the world leader in Internet talk radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Okay, so we are incredibly thrilled to see you all here. It, um, it warms my heart to look out and see everybody here and ready to go and excited also. And I hope you're ready for a few very exciting days. It's exciting stuff. So you're supposed to do that, so I don't do, oh, go I'm too sorry. fast. Yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. For those that don't know me, I'm Diane Mueller, and I am the current chair of the uh, board Woo-hoo. of directors yes. of UPBC. <laughs> and this is oh, Louis Prosperity. And Louie, of course, is our CEO. So there's a lot that's gone into actually making the association bigger and better over the last year. And uh, that's true, of course, of this conference. And I think that you'll see some of the work um, and enhancements that we've done this year. So there are many, many people that play a big part in bringing this event to you. And uh, here's what Louie and I think that you should be aware of. First of all, we would really like to acknowledge the enormous contribution that our two platinum sponsors bring to the association. We could not put on this conference without them. So, Sage and Intuit, big, big, big round of applause. And you probably also realize that we have both Sage and Intuit presenting a full half-day session, and what a a fantastic way to get the conference underway. Vanna. I screwed up. So this year, one of the things that you've probably already noticed is we created four tracks, and uh, we've broken those tracks into business-savvy, Education, that's going to focus on educational topics geared to improving your practice. We've got tapping technology, which will keep you up to date on what's currently out there and what's coming up. Software success, to help you uh, determine what software will best match your customers' needs. And tax insights, will uh, keep you uh, up to date on all the changes in tax. And if you take a look at your schedule inside your package, you'll see that they are all color-coded for you. So it hopefully really makes it easy for you to find the areas that you want to make sure you get a chance to see. In total, though, we have 45 breakout sessions this year for you to attend. Oh, it's my turn. (laughs) Yes, Diane, that is true. We have a great, great lineup of professional speakers and a wide variety of topics. We're a team, by the way. It's yeah. Not like, Laurel topics. and Hardy, I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that our delegates can choose from to help them with their educational needs. This was all possible due to the dedication and effort made by our educational consultant, and I, know, I, I think some of you know her, Marge Wegren-Debray and Anita Andriash and their team. Come on, Marge, stand up. She did all of that stuff that you're reading in the schedule, and we heard how hard it was. It was a tough job. <laughs> and Anita's probably not here. She's probably in the front. So if you yes. do get 
to see her, thank her for all, the, all of her work. They worked hard and put together great topics and fabulous presenters, and we strongly recommend that you take a full advantage of, of their shared knowledge and attend as many sessions as possible. You won't be disappointed. And Diane, this year, we have five keynote speaking events, great ones, by the way. We, would, we have a world-renowned leading motivational speaker on Saturday that you will not want to miss. His inspiring story is so moving that we have been advised to make sure we have tissue boxes on every table. <laughs> so you want to really, really be there for that one. In addition, you'll be treated to some of the best experts in their fields as they share their knowledge over the next three and a half days. Diane, why don't you let everyone know how fantastic the trade show is? Well, it's the biggest the yet. Biggest. The very biggest yet. We've got over 10,000 square feet of space, and we still sold out. Our sponsors are the leaders in the industry, so um, we're really, really thrilled to have them all here and wanting so much to be a part of IPBC. So make sure you visit all of their booths, and of course you have your passports that you need to get stamped, so uh, make sure that you uh, go around and get all of the service tools that they have to offer. Well, that past stamport, if you get it all stamped, the prize is a car. <laughs> no, not really. I think it's an iPad. But pretend it's a car and get them all stamped. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is the trade show open now? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, I think they're all busy. Tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks, John. Yeah, I think they're all busy. Um, they're setting up. up today. So, Diane, that was great news about the trade show. Wasn't it? It was fantastic. <laughs> Amazing. We have some fun events for all of you as well, such as a cocktail party in the trade show on Thursday, where everyone has a few drinks, with, uh, you know, a few drinks, some finger food. We want you to laugh and have fun and really network and enjoy getting together with your fellow colleagues that you might not have seen since last year. So please make the most out of that. In addition, we have our famous fun door prizes to be won during the conference. And you know that car that I was talking about? It's not there either. So just to let you know, it's not there. And our expanded exciting awards banquet. By the way, we spent a lot of time and effort making this banquet and awards night to be the best on the planet. I'm Thanks to so Alan Salmon excited. and his tier. Alan down hey, there is the chair. It is so complex that we have to do a rehearsal. That's how complex it is. We have to do a rehearsal. And after that amazing award night, we will be accompanied by some more drinking and dancing. Also new this year, we had the ability to come to conference for the very first time as a member, but leave as a CPB. We have 35 members that are going to write their CPB exam here at conference. Woohoo! Fantastic. And of course, I also need to really remind you that at the end of today, right after the last session, we have our AGM. So really important that you attend the AGM. 
And last, but certainly not least, IPBC is an extremely proud national association. And we have more delegates here at this conference this year than ever before. Thank you. Thank you very much. And you, the attendees of this conference, represent all the provinces of Canada, with the exception of PEI and the Northwest Territories, Nudovic. Yeah, we're so going to get them next amazing. year. We're going to get them next yeah, year. Yeah. So thank you. Well, we could not do this without you. We sincerely thank all of you for attending and hope you are able to, I know we're using this a lot, Diane, but ignite your business, yourselves, and what you gain here this year should ignite you for the next 365 days until you come to the next Ignite conference. <laughs> Please take advantage of getting to know your peers from across the country. This is a great place for networking and seeing people and talking to people that are in different sections of the country to see if they share your, your similar needs and issues. It is fantastic. And we know that from conference to conference, people have established great relationships across the board. They go on for years and years and years. Yeah, attend as many sessions as you can and enjoy these events. By the way, before I go, if you all look over here, this is brand new for us. This is Voice America. They'll be live broadcasting our, our keynotes. Uh, today's session. Now, just a little bit about Voice of America. And, and Robert, let me know if I, I got the stats all wrong. Because he only told them me once, and once is never enough. So 3.5 million viewers across the world. They're in over 140 countries. And they, the second largest market for them is Canada. So this live broadcast will be going outside of Canada and all over the world. So we, they will know who IPBC is and who Ignite Conference is during this, during this period. So the members that couldn't join us are going to be able to join us through Voice America. So thank you so very thank much. You very much. Enjoy, network, and, and most fun. of all, have fun. All right. Cheers to all of you. Good morning, everyone. My name's Beverly Haggins, and I'm uh, a member of your board of directors. Last February, IPBC was very happy to be able to develop a co-marketing plan uh, agreement with SAGE. And it has worked extremely well, and we're looking forward to expanding on that relationship in the future. In July, Louie and Diane uh, spoke at SAGE Summit, and we'd like to thank SAGE very much for that opportunity. This morning, our speaker is from SAGE is Ed Kless. And because his bio is extensive, forgive me, but I have to read it. Ed joined SAGE in July of 2003 and is currently the Senior Director of Partner Development and Strategy. He develops and delivers curriculum for SAGE business partners on the art and practice of small business consulting, including the SAGE Consulting Academy, business strategy, and customer experience workshops. He also facilitated the SAGE Leadership Academy a year-long program designed to assist SAGE software partners develop a continuous process of improvement in their organizations. Ed is also the co-host 
of the Voice America talk show, The Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy with Ron Baker, founder of the Verisage Institute, where Ed is also a senior fellow. Prior to joining SAGE, Ed worked with Tipping Point Advisors, an organization dedicated to the growth and development of software impl implementation partners. In 1996, he co-founded Third Wave Business Systems, a Microsoft Dynamics GP partner that grew to 20 team members and $5 million in revenue. At Third Wave, Ed developed the implementation methodology and led the CRM and ERP consulting teams. Ed is a contributor to industry publications, including the Journal of Accountancy, Harvard Business Review, and HR.com, and has spoken at many conferences worldwide on project management, pricing, and knowledge workers. He is also active in the Information Technology Alliance, ITA, Toastmasters, and is a senior fellow at the Verisage Institute. He lives north of Dallas with his wife and two children, and in 2010, ran for the Texas State Senate as a Libertarian. So please join me this morning, giving a warm welcome to Ed Kless. Thank you so much. <clears throat> All right, be before I get started here, first a huge shout out to my new friends, uh, Matt and, and Kyle. <laughs> I met these guys this morning. They hate me already because I was like, yeah, I can't work with this presentation in the back. And they made it happen. So thank you, guys. Big round of applause. Thank you. All right. Making sure I'm all working here. There we go. Good. The Colossal Misunderstanding of Our Time. The Colossal Misunderstanding of Our Time. I love that word, colossal. Is the, is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. The Colossal Misunderstanding of Our Time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. If we, can, if we can just get them to understand, they'd completely see it our way. If we can just give them that one piece of information that they go, oh, I get it now, right? And it doesn't work like that. This is a quote from Dr. Edwin Friedman, who wrote, in my opinion, one of the best books ever on leadership, uh, Failure of Nerve, Leadership in the Age of the Quick Fix. He says that this idea, this concept of just providing insight to get somebody to understand is absolutely universal. It applies everywhere. It certainly applies to spousal relationships. Does that make sense, folks? I know there's a couple of married couples out there in the audience, okay? Uh, spousal relationships, parent-child relationships. As I was talking to somebody yesterday, they said it actually applies to parent-child relationships the other way, in other words, with elderly parents, right? We just, right? And it it's, seems to be universal. It applies in our homes uh, with, with, like I said, our, our children, in our neighborhoods, our civic organizations that we're a part of, our churches, temples, 
mosques, whatever, all of this, and all the way on up to international relations. Right? Um, and just to give a quick example, I don't mean to be taking sides on this, but what part of, you know, we're going to take you out did Saddam Hussein not understand in 2003, right? We got a quarter of a million troops. Unless you let the UN inspectors in, we're taking you out. Now, I'm not going to take a position on that, whether that was right or wrong thing. I'm just saying, see, he was unmotivated to change, you see, <laughs> right? He couldn't, couldn't change. So the colossal misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. Now, piggyback that with another quote from Erickson Shecky. I'll, I'll tell the story about Erickson Shecky in just a, a few minutes. But he says, if you don't like change, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. If you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. Now, this is extraordinarily ironic that Eric Sinshecki would say this. Anybody recognize that name? Probably not here, Canada. Maybe a couple of you, yep. Okay, Eric Sinshecki, when he uttered this quote, he was the chief of staff of the U.S. Army under the first Bush, first Clinton, I guess i got to say, sort of now. You know, here we, we throw off a king 250 years ago, and now we have, like, families that are coming in and replacing them. It's a very weird thing. All right, so under the, the first George Bush into the first Clinton, and he oversaw the transformation of the United States Army when it went through a, a very interesting time, which is, of course, the end of the Cold War. I mean, if you think about it, in 1988 or so, the... the to be very glib about it, the, the strategy of the United States at the time was to blow up as many things as quickly as possible. That was like our, our big overarching strategy. How quickly can we do that? Remember we had this mutually assured self-destruction thing going on with the Soviet Union? Remember that whole thing? Right? All right. So that was the strategy. Well, the strategy on September 12, 2001, became find one guy hiding in a cave in Afghanistan, we think, right? That is a huge transition from a, think, just think about that from an organizational standpoint, to take a military organization that was, you know, one strategy down to find one guy. And Erickson Shecky oversaw a lot of those transition processes that happened. Now we can, again, debate whether or not he was successful at it. But what's really ironic is that he later went on, and more recently went on, to be the secretary of uh, the, the uh, veteran, veteran Affairs, where he was ousted, ousted completely in horrible, under horrible circumstances where the Veterans Administration in the United States was doing an awful job serving the veterans, Right? So what I think this proves is that he can, we can utter a brilliant quote, like, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less, and fully not understand the implications of what that is, right? So knowledge does not equal understanding, folks. Knowledge does not equal understanding. What I hope to share with you over the next, I guess it's three or so hours, don't worry, I will give you a break, and just let me know when it's time, I tend to just keep going, and many of you know me, uh, so just like Ed, you've been, you've been it's coming, you know. <laughs> um, 
And I do want to make sure that we, we make this as interactive as possible. I know that this is difficult and challenging, and I'm up here with lights in my eyes, and I can barely see you, but I, I do want to make this interactive. I do want people to, to ask questions, so please, and I know you're not shy. I, I've been at this conference for, what, five years? So I know you are not shy. So if you, have, if you have questions, if you have a comment, if you want to start a conversation about something, let's do it, all right? What I hope to seek to do today is help you make this change, this transition, from being, an, being organizations that do a lot of what I'll call logic work, right? Logic work, making sure that, that people's books are good and in, so that they have the, the, the right information so that they can make decisions. And that's important stuff, right? That's clearly important stuff. We can't have that. But what I hope to help you make the transition to is to be able to take that and move it to the next level and do what my colleague at Verisage, Tim Williams, calls magic work, right? The ma what's interesting about the magic work is the magic work requires that the logic work be done. You can't do the magic work without first getting the logic work done. And what's difficult about that is oftentimes our customers, once you get the logic work done, are like, okay, I'm done, thank you. Move on. And you're like, but if you just let me do this one more thing. Well, that, no, that's okay. <laughs> I've paid you enough. No. Right? Laughter is a confession, by the way. So I know if I'm hearing laughter that this is happening. All right? So this is the kind of thing. And, and so this is a, a truism, right? We, hear, we have a lot of challenges with this. So how is it that we can make a transition in, our, in ourselves first? Because... The colossal misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. In this case, your customer is not motivated to change to say, hey, yeah, bring on, bring on some of this added logic, that magic work. Right? So what are the things that we can do? What are the questions we can ask, not only them but ourselves, perhaps, to perhaps change the way we think about stuff? And that's really the biggest, biggest challenge. Is it's not about changing your customers. Right? It's not about changing your customers. It's about changing you and your behavior. Uh, as mentioned in my way too long bio, I apologize. We've got to cut that down. Um, I have two, two kids, and I read the, the business books, and my wife reads the parenting books, and then occasionally we compare notes. <laughs> and we're pretty sure that you could just take a business book and make it a parenting book by just doing global search and replace on certain words. Right, you know, uh, and vice versa. You could take the parenting books and just just make it. And I remember this one book that she was reading called Love and Logic. Very interesting child system uh, that, that's in place. And she's like, I don't like this book. I don't like this book. I'm like, well, why don't you like this book? Because this this book is saying, I'm not. I don't change the kids. I change me. <laughs> I, I I read this book because I want to fix the kids. <laughs> Right? And I'm like, yeah, see, that's, <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. Like, oh, I don't, I don't like this book. <laughs> All right, so that's, that's, that's the premise. That's our prelude for what we're going to talk about today. All right? Fair? Make sense so far? Okay, good to go. <laughs> this is a scary slide because I, 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 I once thought, that I could probably do a full day on this slide. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to. 
<laughs> All right. And now I'm convinced that it's really more like six days. All right. So there's, so there's more on this. Uh, this is a concept. I was, I was once asked, curiously, it, it was actually in a bar in Vancouver. I know, bar, I know, you're shocked. <laughs> After a Sage event by a, a Sage Midmarket partner, she asked me, so Ed, um, what are the three most important things you've ever learned? And I was two Cabernets into the evening, so I'm ready for this question, you know what I mean? This is a good question, as, as okay, I can come up with this. Now, here's the funny part, is I, I remember the conversation, I remember two of the three, but I don't remember the third, so I probably made something up, right? <laughs> it's really, but it was two Cabernets, remember? The first one was is that price doesn't come from cost, and we'll perhaps talk about that later. That's not the subject of this. I have you know, lots of material, some of you, I know followers of Ron and myself on value pricing. Price doesn't come from cost. but. The other one where, and the, the, is this, is this slide, right? And this is a, 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 a quick sum, summation of a book by Peter Block, B-L-O-C-K. Uh, if you haven't, you need to read Peter Block if you want to make this transition into being more of a consultant uh, and do magic work. So Peter Block has written, I don't know, half a dozen books on the art and practice of consulting. And this book is called The Answer to How is Yes. The answer to how is yes. It's a great title. Remember of Shakespeare in Love? Great title. It's a good title because the title makes you go, what? The answer to how is yes. What the hell are you talking about? The answer to how is yes. And Block's postulation is this, that in business, and he, this, is a, this is a business book. It's, I think it's, it's also parenting. Okay, so remember? <laughs> so... It's universal. In this book, he says, look, we only have six conversations in business. That's it. We only talk about six things, right? And this is presented on the the left-hand side of this. How do you do it? How long will this take? How much does it cost? How do we get those people to change? How do we measure it? How have other people done it successfully? It's like every conversation that we have in business is really a variation of one of those six questions. Right? Now, certainly the it changes from, say, industry to industry, from company to company, from customer to customer, right? from maybe how inside your organization, from the different people that you're dealing with. So the it certainly changes. And that's kind of broad and universal. But the nature of the conversation doesn't. Right? And Block then says something pretty profound. He says, look, these six questions, there's nothing wrong with these six questions. These are good questions. In fact, people who ask these questions are often perceived to be smarter at meetings, right? He says, the problem is, though, is the problem is that these six questions are, they are defense mechanisms against change. These are our our human natural defense mechanisms against change. In other words, if we don't want to change, if we don't want our situation to change, what we tend to do is we ask a bunch of how questions at people. Right? So somebody makes a proposal. Oh, yeah? How are you going to do that? Well, how long is that going to take? That's got to cost a lot of money. Really? How are you going to get our people to change to do that? Well, how have other people done this? Do you hear, hear yourselves now, right? He says, we can't avoid this. They're like, 
once you learn this, you're not like, okay, now I won't ask any more how questions. No, it doesn't work like that, <laughs> right? You're gonna, you're gonna find yourself asking how questions because that's what we do, right, as human beings. It's our defense mechanisms against change. He says, we just need to be aware of it. There's nothing wrong. He says, there's nothing immoral, unethical about these questions. They're good questions. He says, the problem is, however, is that they are asked, and I would add, and answered. They are asked and answered too early. They are asked and answered too early in the process. And what they do is they shut down the possibility of change actually occurring in the organization, right? Let's just pick one, and I'm going to go through all of these, but I'm going to start with the how long is this going to take? How long will this take? Now, first of all, there's a challenge in this question, because oftentimes when people, professionals, are asked this question, especially by customers, how long is this going to take, right? They think that what the customer is asking is a question of price. Right? What they think, oh, how long is this going to take you? When your customers ask you, how long is this going to take you? Right? You interpret that, many of you interpret that as, okay, well, that's four billable hours. That's how you interpret it. Right? That's not what they're asking in most cases. Most of the time, what they're asking you, they're not asking you a question of effort, they are asking you a question of duration. They're asking you, when can I have it? How quickly can you get it to me? That's really the question. So we have to be careful about misinterpreting that question, especially when we come from the billable hours thought process behind life, right? Because that's not what they're asking. But even that, even that, let's just say that we, we do interpret it correctly as how long is this going to take. We do in, interpret it correctly as duration. They're asking a question of duration. When is it going to be done? Three months, six months. Notice that it doesn't matter what your answer is, they can refute it. Well, how long is this going to take? Well, three months. Phew, that's too long. Or, we could never get it done in three months. See, it doesn't matter. Your how-based questions, the defense mechanisms against change that people are asking, are setting you up because they don't want to do whatever it is that you're suggesting. So they're coming up with a reason, a rationale, for not. So they throw this, how long is this going to take at you? And it doesn't matter what your answer is because I can refute that. It's easy. So too long or too short. That makes sense? Right? So that's the danger in that question. How do you do it? How do you do it? Anyone in this room been asked, how do you do it over and over and over again by the same person? <laughs> Laughter's a confession, so yes. Yeah, well, that happened to me. Right? Happened to me. How do you do it over and over and over again? My, my, the one that I remember in my mind, his name was Frank. I'll tell you the story of Frank throughout the day. Frank, Frank was the warehouse manager at a, a, a wine store in Manhattan. They had the where, a warehouse in lo, in location in Brooklyn, and he was the warehouse manager in Brooklyn. And uh, Frank's only job in the new implementation that we were doing of this system, his only job was to do inventory transfers. Now, I know before you, a bunch of bookkeepers here, you know that that's like the easiest transaction in any system, right? It's five pieces of information. They are as follows. The date, which is usually today. <laughs> what item am I transferring? 
right? How many am I transferring from what location to the other location? And usually there's no effect on the general ledger, right? So this is like the absolute easiest. I mean, you could teach a horse how to do an inventory transfer. <laughs> right? This is not, not hard. But Frank absolutely refused. Frank, I, I got, if I asked, asked once, I, and I'm not, I got asked like seven or eight times by Frank, how do you do an inventory transfer? How do you do an inventory transfer? How do you do an inventory transfer? Right? And my mistake was answering him seven times. That was my mistake. I'll talk about what I did later on in the presentation. I'll talk about the, what, what I finally came to to reverse that, to, ch to change it. It's probably one of the most profound moments in my consulting career that what would happen with Frank. But so how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it over and over and over again by the same person? Sometimes the first how do you do it question is legit, right? But, but when you hear it more than twice, sometimes actually more than once, but once you hear it more than twice, it's no longer actually confusion. Right? Nobody's that stupid. All right? More on that later. All right. <laughs> How much does it cost? How much does it cost? Right? And you know, th this, this, of course, is, is a, a big one for me, and often asked by people in a sales-type presentation. You know, How much is this going to cost us? Right? And in every sales, there's a, they, let's, let's get away from talking about price. Notice that they're, even using not, they're not even using the word price. They're using the word cost. They're using the word cost. They're using the word cost even incorrectly. Right? So Because they're asking, in a sense, how much is this going to cost? And you interpret that as how much is it going to cost you? You. Right? And that's the worst place to start. More on that later. Here's the management leadership one. How do, we, how do you get those people to change? First of all, notice the phrase, those people. Whenever you see collective nouns, you should be wary of them. Right? I, I, can, I, I often hear this. Well, sales just doesn't get it. Sales? Like all of sales. Is there a particular person in sales? We hear this, again, in governmental agencies, right? Down in the U.S., we have the administration said this, right? The entire administration? Really? Up here, you guys would be the government. The government, like all of them. <laughs> uh, or using the city name, another common, Ottawa. Yeah. Ottawa said this. Wow, the entire city of Ottawa stood up in unison and said this, Right? <laughs> So they use collective nouns. So anytime you hear that you see collective nouns, you need to be wary of those type things. All right? So how do you get those people to change? And I will, we'll talk about the transitions in just a second. And then one that is near and dear to my heart and why I could do three days on this, uh, how do you measure it? Ron and I did an entire show on this. Right? <laughs> it's like this, this, on this question, how do, you, how do you measure it? The challenge with measuring is that measurements are relative, right? Measurements are relative, it, 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 and you have to decide other things first. So the measurement, and this is the, there's a cult, by the way, in business of measurement, right? And I'm not talking about the accountants and bookkeepers, I'm talking about the Lean Six Sigma Guru Ninja Turtle people. <laughs> right, they are, they, are, they are a cult of measurement and efficiency. 
Right? They are uh, pantometrists was the word. They like to just measure everything. Right? The, the, the cult has a, has a phrase uh, saying that they attribute to Peter Drucker all the time. It drives me crazy because he never has said it. The phrase is, what you can measure, you can manage. Right? Have you heard that? Yeah. And if anybody says, and Peter, as Peter Drucker said, tell them they're full of crap. Peter Drucker never said that. He, did, he didn't say the inverse either, which is what you can't measure, you can't manage. So people are like, well, did he say that? No. Right? He, what he did say, something like, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said, what you, will, what you measure, you will get. That's different. Right? What you measure, you will get. In other words, if you're measuring how many new accounts your bank opens on a regular basis and set the compensation level as such, Wells Fargo, you're going to get new accounts opened up, right? And that's exactly what happened. This is a great example of putting a measurement in place and getting what they said they would measure. All right? So what you, you got to be careful, because what you measure, you will get. And it's not always the best thing. And then the last one on this, and this is the one that scares me most, how have other people done this successfully? This is the reference question. All right, do you have a reference? It's a, it's, that's a, have, can, can you tell, tell, give me a reference? I need a, you know, a, a $4 million plastics manufacturer within a 75-kilometer radius of Vancouver. Another one. Well, you're the only one. Well, I need another one. I need another reference. That does exactly what we do in exactly the same place we do it with exactly the same personnel. Well, you're asking for a reference from yourself. <laughs> Right? It's, a, it's a circular error in Excel, remember? Like self-referential. Right? How, how have other people done it successfully is a very scary question. Let me start there on, on the transition, too. Why is this question scary? Well, because this one, if, if, you, if you assume that it must be that other people have done whatever it is we're doing successfully in order for us to actually do it, well, you can't innovate, can you? You kill all innovation asking this question. This question kills the possibility of innovation because it presupposes that others have done it successfully. So imagine Wilbur and Orville Wright, you know, on flying, going from uh, Dayton, Ohio, down to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, 100, 100 plus years ago. So, Wilbur, how have other people done this powered man flight thing successfully? Well, Orville, I was doing some research at the Dayton Library, and here's what I came up with. There was this Greek guy, Icarus Dindaedalus, with his dad, and they had this, like, wax and wings thing. He flew for a while, but too close to the sun, <laughs> crash. Not so good. Uh, we also had Leonardo da Vinci, the smartest person who's ever lived, really. And, well, he invented no less than four flying machines. Four. None of which get off the ground when people have built them. Well, actually, one gets off the ground. It's called the, the heliocopter. But all it does is hop and then completely destroy itself after, after about 10 hops. <sighs> yeah, you're right, Well, the hell with it, let's just go back to the bicycle shop. Right? How have other people done it successfully? So the insight that Peter Block gives us is that we need to be on the lookout for these questions. I've become really attuned to hearing these questions, and also, and I think this is the really the part, the change you piece, in asking them. Because I, what I found is that I was 
equally a, a, a participant in this, right? And that I, you know, if I wanted to sound smart at a meeting, I would just pepper people with how questions. It's a weird dynamic, isn't it? Like when, when that happens at a meeting, it's like somebody drops an idea on the table and then these how questions come up. And then the, it's like the vultures descending on an animal on the Serengeti, right? It's like they start, everybody starts ripping, oh yeah, that'll never work. And all that's left after about 10 minutes of conversation is the bones of the idea left on the table. And then you know, whoever is in charge of the meeting says something intelligent like, Anybody else have any ideas? <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, I don't got any more. No. All right, so, the, the, I, so I become especially attuned to myself. Let me give you an example of this top one. How do you do it? How do you do it? Uh, we got a, this is about four years ago, three, four years ago. We had a new expense system. It's age. I'm famous for not doing expense reports, right, Ray? Yes, he is. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just my, it's my thing. If I, if I, ha I have a fault, I'm, I, I stand before you, I'm like bad, right? I know, I know, I know. Anyway, this is four years ago before Ray was my boss, so it's fine. So we get, so we get this new, new expense system in, right? And you know, it's, I'm and I hate I hate this new system. I didn't like the old one, but like the new one, I hate even more, right? <laughs> so it's like even worse. I actually did call HR at one time. Two two story, by the way. I did did call HR and filed. I once said I wanted to file a complaint against the new expense system. It was creating a hostile work environment. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and they're like, Ed, you work at home alone. How can? <laughs> How can this be a hostile work environment? Because <laughs> I want to kill myself, don't you understand? I want to kill myself having to do that. And look, but he, so here's, here's the full confession. So, so I'm like, the, after ignoring the email about the training session, right, after ignoring it, right, and, and so I fire off an email to the person who's sending me the nasty gram to get my expense report. Yeah, well, how do you do this? Ah. <laughs> right, and you know, she sends me back the link to the <laughs> to the, <laughs> to the trainers I could do this. <laughs> right, so and I I finally realized that I went through it, and then there, I did have a I did have a, a question. I couldn't figure something out about one particular item. I you know calmed myself down, got to the point where I was able to get most of it in, but there was one thing, I had, and I realized that I had you know, thrown this how do you do it question out at this person, right? So I did have, I thought, a legitimate question, but I didn't want, so I changed it. I said, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to, and I forget what it was, like to, to get this expense to be categorized into a different you know, cost code or something, right? Because I wouldn't have access to it. What, what do I need to do? And when you know what I got, same person, what I got, well, I didn't get a, a link, right? I didn't get a link. I got a phone call, and she said, okay, this is, and she led me through it, right? And I think the difference is, in, it was in my question, you see, right? Because if you ask somebody, how do you do it, what are you doing to them? Yeah, you're giving them a to-do, right? 
That's, and that, I mean, that's the key, this use of the second person pronoun in this one. How do you do it? Right? So you're putting it on them. You're not maintaining ownership of the situation. So they, or the way this manifests itself probably from your customers, they'll ask you, how does your system do this? Right? But, notice, but you have to be attuned to listening for that second person pronoun. Because when they're saying you, your, there's no ownership there of what's going on. Right? They're, they're taking a step back and saying, this is not my system, this is your system. No, but it's your system, it's in your company. Right? So how do you do it? How do you do it? That's one of the things that you t- to listen for. So you put it, whereas with the second one, when I said, what is it that I need to do to change this cost code, I was maintaining ownership of the problem, right? It was my problem. I, I couldn't get the cost code to be fixed. I didn't put it on this other person. And as a result, I got a better answer and a, a quicker answer and a more polite one by maintaining ownership of the situation, right? So pass that along to you. Experiment with yourselves. As you're you know, typing out emails with questions in them, are you using these how-based questions or are you using you know, this what question? So uh, let's talk about this first one. How do you do it becomes what Block says we want to help. And here's the, 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 the link in all of this. is like you don't just say, oh, no, you can't ask a how question. You should ask one of these questions. This is not a like, search and replace thing. It doesn't work like that, all right? You actually, as a consultant, have to guide people on making the transition themselves. You have to help them ask the new question, right? You don't just say, no, you shouldn't ask that question. You should ask this question, right? That doesn't work. They're like, no, <laughs> right? You help them make the shift. So we'll talk about uh, the w- one of the ways to do that in just a little bit. All right, so how do you do it becomes what ref- refusal have I been postponing? Now, in my case, what I was postponing was what? Learning the new system, right? I didn't want to learn the new system, right? Same thing that happened with Frank, by the way. We'll get back to him later, right? I, I, didn't, I didn't want to learn the new system. So I was postponing a refusal because in business, it is not, especially in Canada, you guys, like, apologize even if you're, you're someone else's fault. In, 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 in business, it's not acceptable... It's not acceptable to say no to someone if they ask you to do something, especially if it's a, a, a boss, a superior, right? Now, unless it's immoral or unethical, right, then I guess, but even then, see Enron, right? <laughs> WorldCom, there's plenty of examples, Wells Fargo, right? There's, there's plenty of times where, you know, even people knew that it was unethical or immoral, and my boss asked me to do it, Right? So because, and that's, that's kind of the culture. It's not proper to re- reject an answer. So as a result, we, then when we're asked to do something by a boss, what we do is we postpone saying no. Right? We don't say no. And we, we call it, by the way, procrastination. That's what we do. <laughs> so um, I had a boss long before Ray uh, who is a, an, an idea factory. I mean, this guy, like, it, it was like overwhelming, drinking from a fire hose, I mean, just spurting ideas at you. And most of the times, ideas were pretty good, but sometimes it's like, dude, that is stupid. <laughs> right? But I didn't say that, right? And what, did I, what did I do? When he, if, he, if he came up with an idea and asked me to do something, what did I do? 
I just ignored the request. What I found with this guy was pretty interesting, that 70% of the time, he would forget. Right? So it was only about 30% of the time that he would remember the request, because he never put an email. It was just like off the cuff. So, so 30% of the, it was great, great, because now I even found that it was, I, I just, and what did I say, by the way, when he came back to me? So Ed, where's the blah, 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 blah that I asked you about last week? What did I say? Yep, yeah, I was just about to get to do, do it, right? That was next thing on my list, right? Okay, so what I found with him is that it was even worse than that, like this. Even after the second request, I could ignore him, and 70% of the time he would forget the second request, right? So it was really, I, had to, I waited for third request. Now, I want you to think about that. It was 30% of 30, so it's like less than 10% of the time did I actually have to do anything I didn't want to do. It was a pretty good... So, so it was, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good strategy, <laughs> right? So, but, but you see, that's, that's probably the hardest one to understand the transition. It's like, what, how do you do it becomes what refusal have I been postponing? So, in other words, what am I, what I, I don't want, I can't say no, I shouldn't say no, so I just postpone saying no. I just put off saying no, Right? And then maybe in some of those times, I would finally come back to him and say, look, I don't think this is a good idea, and here's why. Right? And then I would have that more challenging conversation occasionally. Okay, so that's the first transition. The second, how long will it take me? What is the commitment that I'm willing to make? Notice that, the different question there. Right? We talked about how long will it take being, it doesn't matter what the answer is. Right? It doesn't matter. They can just say three months, oh, it's too long, too short. But if they're instead asking themselves, what is the commitment that I'm willing to make, or what is the commitment that our organization is willing to make, well, then time, timing doesn't matter quite as much. Right? It doesn't matter whether it's three months or six months. We're committed to getting this done at some point. Right? We, that doesn't mean that we don't have target dates and due dates and all that stuff. It just means that, no, 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 this is a, it's about a commitment to making sure this happens. By the way, there's a difference between commitment and support, by the way. There's a difference. We'll talk about that later. We, we, want, we want commitment from people, not just support. Look at, those are another two words that I'm very watchful for. And somebody says, yes, I'm very supportive. <laughs> right, they, I, think, I think air support, right? You know, they're flying up at 30,000 feet. Like, we're down here getting shot at, and you're, oh, hi, guys. Right, air support. Okay, um, how much does it cost become what is the value of it to me? Right, what is the value of it to me? And then... From that, and this is this. If you if you've ever come to any of Ron Baker or myself stuff, this is this is this. We concentrate on shifting this question, right? Because the first question is that you cannot, you have to cost lead price. By if you answer that question, you have to, by definition, right? The second question, that what is the value of it to me? Again, this is again customer asking this this question. We're helping them them make the transition. What is the value of it to me? Well, then we can value price because then we can understand what the value is. Right? Uh, I wrote a piece on this. Is you know you can't value price without having a conversation about value. It just doesn't work. Right? That is because it, it's it's value led pricing as opposed to cost-led pricing. All right, so yeah, so that, that's why, again, six hours, yes, I could do six days on this slide. 
because I would launch into a whole value price thing at that point. All right, so let's talk about this now. How do you get those people change becomes what is my contribution to the problem? By the way, I, I consider myself a professional consultant, like when I write on my tax return or when people ask me what is, it, you know, what, what, what is your profession, I say consultant, professional consultant. That, I, I, that, I'm very proud of that. Right? And we'll talk more about consult- what a consultant is in just a, just a few minutes. Right? So that, that's what, what I am. Th- you know you have arrived as a professional consultant when you can m- help somebody make this transition, especially someone in a, in a leadership management CEO owner role, when you get them to realize that, oh, it's about what I'm doing. Right? The, 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 the place where I see this the most often, it's glaring, and, and you probably have seen this, you guys don't necessarily work with these folks on a regular basis, but is, is in the sales team when they're implementing a CRM system, right? What we, I used to do CRM systems, is, and one of the questions that we would ask is, are, are, you, are you going to expect that your eagle salesperson is going to use this system, and if not, you will fire them if they don't? And if they say, well, no, it, this system isn't for the eagle salesperson. This is for all of the morons who don't get it. We're just gonna, then, then my advice to them was do not implement this system. You will, it will never work. You will never get it to work. Right? Because if they, if they are not willing to get rid of people who won't use the system, even if it's the eagle salesperson, but it, it's never going to get implemented. Right? Because what they're doing is they are, in that position, they're the ones who are creating the problem, right? And it really is hard for some people to reflect on that and understand that. So what is my contribution to the problem? When you get a leader, owner, as I said, CEO, asking that question, what is my contribution to this problem? What is my contribution to the very thing that I complain about the most? I like the way that's phrased. What is my contribution to the very thing I complained about the most? Think about that one in your lives, by the way. That's a good question to reflect on occasionally. Right. What is your contribution to the thing in your life that you complain about the most? There's probably something that you do that reinforces that. Like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, last, uh, the, the next one. How do you measure becomes what is the judgment I need to make? I, I alluded to this earlier. Uh, I, all measurements, all measurements are actually judgments in disguise. All measurements are judgments in disguise. There is no such thing as an objective measure at all. Right? All measurements are relative. How fast am I moving right here? Really slow. Like, you're not moving at all. <laughs> you're really not moving. Zero, zero, zero kilometers an hour. All right. See how I'm doing the, the conversion thing? I'm pretty good with it. So I'll, I'll, I'll mess up at some point. But I try. <laughs> I try. Try to do this, the search and replace with the audience. Okay. <laughs> so zero kilometers an hour. Uh, now, this is going to be the hard part because I know the, 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 the next part of this speech that I have, the spiel that I have, I, it's all in miles an hour. So I'm going to have to do like the, the metric <laughs> thing in my head. All right. <laughs> so, We'll, we'll give it a shot. All right, so, the, so zero miles an hour, unless, of course, you're looking at me from a point above the Earth, and you see that the Earth is going around at 1,500 kilometers an hour? No? It's a, I don't know. It's fast. It's 1,000 miles an hour. I know how much it is in miles. So it's two point something, right? One, five. 
Ah, whatever. All right, so it's fast. So you see, but from that perspective, I'm moving fast. And then, of course, north of the solar system, you would see that the Earth is going around the sun. And, of course, the entire solar system is going around the center of the Milky Way galaxy at a number that it doesn't matter whether you use miles an hour or kilometers an hour because it's really big and we can't even comprehend it, right? Whew, I'm tired. That's moving fast. Right? This is Einstein's theory of relativity. This is what it is, right? It's like the, the, the motion is relative to the position of the observer. Well, the same thing is true of any measurement, any measurement, right? In, inside, it's relative to the, 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 the organization. Relative, like, well, sales went up 5% this year. Is that good or bad? I don't know. <laughs> relative to what? I don't know. Right? So we can, all measurements are judgments in disguise. Even money is not, you know, you, this kind of freaks me out. Like if I lie awake at night, there, no money does not have any objective value. Right? It's just we agree. Right? <laughs> just like, hey, this piece of paper, I can get a Starbucks coffee with this. We agree. There's not, nothing that says that that's really the case. That, that kind of freaks me out when you start to think about that. But anyway, so, <laughs> so but, but there is no objective measurement. There is no objective me measurement because there is a certain amount of relativity for everything. Okay, so what is the judgment I need to make is the better question, right? Not what do I need to measure, but what is the judgment I need to make? What are we trying to judge? People are very uncomfortable with the word judge. I don't want to judge. I want an objective measurement that I can throw at somebody. All right, this is why we try to turn judgments and turn them into measurements, like on annual performance appraisals. Well, you know, it's an objective measurement. You're a five. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, wasn't that a judgment? No, it's a, it's a number. It can't be subjective. It's a, it's a number. You're an idiot. That's a judgment. <laughs> How did you come up with that? Right? There's, so there's, there's, it, 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 we try, we, we often do make that, and we like that because if we, if we have an objective measurement, we can at least go, well, you know, this is what the number said. That's what the number said, right? But are the number, but, but is that the right judgment, right? So that's why the question, what is the judgment I need to make, is way more important. And then this last one, I talked about Wilbur and Orville. That's, this is the question that they asked. What do we want to create together? We want to create a machine that does powered man flight. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to create. I don't, it doesn't matter to me that it hadn't been done before. That's, in fact, that's the point. Right? So what is it that we want to do? What do we want to create together as a, as a group, as a team, as a company, as an organization? This is, this is, to me, well, the, the, quest, the, the scope question. A lot of people ask scope in a lot of different ways. This is, the, this is, this is to me, is the scope question. What is, that's the scope. What do we want to create here? Right. And I love the word create. All entrepreneurs, we have a radio show dedicated to this, entrepreneurs continue the work of creation. That's what entrepreneurs do. I, I, I love that notion. It's one of the reasons why I love coming to this conference, because you guys are entrepreneurs. You work with entrepreneurs. It, it, I, I've often said this, that I, I hope that Sage is entrepreneurial in the way that we are dealing with you in a lot of cases. 
So it, why I love my job? Because I do one job and I get three times the benefit. Like I, I help Sage, I help partner organizations, I help you guys, and, and then hopefully you're going to take some of this stuff forward and bring it forward to your customers. Right? It's like, remember Norm got the beer tasting job on, on Cheers? That's like, that's how I wake up every morning thinking, great, I can, I can, how can I help more people create today? Right? Create new stuff. So what is it, what do we want to create? What I love about these questions, too, is that once we get through and answer these questions, it completely changes some of the how questions to make them act more relevant. So if you answer the question, what do we want to create? Does how have other people done it successfully make any sense anymore? No. But there's a new and better question that emerges, which is what can we learn from other people who have attempted to do this? You see, that's a great question, right? What can we learn from Leonardo da Vinci? What can I learn from Icarus and Daedalus, right? What, what can I learn from the birds watching birds fly, right? What can I learn? So these, by a asking these questions earlier on, it actually changes the notion and relevancy of these other questions. And that's one of the reasons why this is one of the three most important things I've ever learned. <laughs> All right. Uh, before I move on, are there any th thoughts or questions on this? Because this is, this is some deep, heavy stuff. Nope, no good. Okay, that's all right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. In the back. Shout it out. I got to repeat the question. So shout it out. A YouTube video? Is being recorded. Yeah, you got to listen to it. Yeah. No, this would be all available via like a podcast type scenario situation afterwards. Cool. You can turn me off at any time. <laughs> Shut up, you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thought. Yes. That, I. Thank you. I should have said that. Thank you. Yes. Thoughts. Yeah. Pricing. <laughs> okay, yes, you started value pricing. Yeah, good, great. And that started a change. Mm. You know, uh, and I changed. Yep. And so it takes time. Yes. Yeah. It takes, yes, and uh, thank you for pointing that out. The, 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 I will say this. Like, here's the, here's the, like, the bad news. Um, this is, not, this is not one of these conferences, because the, the, I do actually see some young faces in this room, but most of the conferences that I speak at, it's like, well, what's the average age of this conference? And the answer is, one year older than last year. <laughs> All right. Now, I hope that that's not the case here, because it's new members, largest conference ever. I hope we're bringing younger and newer people into the group. And I, I do see that. They're sitting in the back, though, because they're afraid. But, <laughs> but I am seeing that, so that's good. But here's the, here's the trouble with, with this, is as we get older, it's harder to change our thought process, right? L l it, you, you've heard that when you're young, you can learn a new languages, right? Right? It's like kids can learn you know, three different, four different languages and not be confused about it because they don't translate, they just do it in their head. Right? So that's, you, well, we, with, with all of this stuff, 
We're doing the same thing. It's just staying in English. We're changing the language. This is why I corrected you when you said value billing. No, it's pricing, right? Because we're, you're actually changing the language. So it's just as difficult. So it's like learning a new language in a sense, right? So yes, I think this is any of these transitions, you just work with them, and it's, it's an it's a easy eight-month process minimum. And here's the, the, the curve. The older you are, the longer the curve is, which is why a lot of people, when they're older, are like, the hell with it. I'm just running the table, right? So, so, that, so that, that becomes a challenge. All right. Yes? Right. As you make the change in your own behavior, uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 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 Yeah. Okay. Th yes. Thank you. Are, are you asking me how do you get those people to change? In all fairness, this, this, it's like a total setup, right? I mean, like almost, this is why none of you had questions. I appreciate your thoughts because, like, okay, if I ask a question and he, I ask it the wrong way, he's going to, like, slam me. But I appreciate that, and I've just made, just, and thank you for being so good humored about it. Um, the, the answer to your question is, that, it, it, yes, sometimes it's move on. Sometimes that's, that is actually the correct course of action. But what you have to determine, and the, the word that I'll, I'll use is possibility. Is, is, there, is there a possibility that whoever this person is can change? If you think that possibility exists, then you stick with it, right? You know, rewind all the way to the opening quote, just because this is, is relevant to your question. And that is the colossal misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. What Friedman says and right after that in the book is if, if, you, if you care about the relationship, right, stick with it and work on changing yourself. Right? If you come to this realization that you don't care about the relationship, then move on. Right? So you have to constantly be asking yourself, am, do, do I care enough about this relationship to stay and work on myself, not trying to change the other person? So that's the question. And even in a prospect situation, it's the same thing. Right? You, you may, you know, you, the prospect may be somebody who is referred by another customer, in which case you're probably more likely to, to give them a little bit more grace period to, to get it. Right? Uh, and maybe there's language that you can use to help change it. But the word that I would often use with them is, is it possible that you're seeing things in a, in a or is it possible that you could see things in a different way? Right? To me, that's, a, you know, the, my bio is talking about libertarian, but my, my philosophy on life is really possibilitarian. <laughs> right? I think that the most powerful, one of the most powerful words in the English language is the word possibility. Right? Is it possible? And if it's not, then move on, right? If you don't, if you don't think it's, a, you know, life's too short. Okay. Yes, we're, oh, we've got two over here. Good, I'll come back to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the things I actually really like 
Uh -huh. I think the big issue for me is more how you make that shift between the logical and the mathematical. Well, right. If I look at my client's base, that's, it will say 70%. Really, it's going to stop with the logical. That's kind of where they're at. Right. But then to make that fundamental shift, to be able to jump, um, and then the whole measure point. Yep. Right. Correct. Correct. Yes. No. And this is great. And like, the, and ultimately, the question for you, she said, by the way, that like seventy percent of our customer base are just really interested in the logic work, right? And there's only maybe thirty percent that have the possibility, yeah. even have the possibility, or they didn't have the possibility. So then, the, over the long haul, the question then becomes for you is, do you want to continue to serve that seventy percent? Do you care about, at, at some point, you will make a judgment as to whether or not, yeah, I still want to do this because I at least care enough about it and about them to do this logic work for them, yeah. right? Or are you just going to say, the heck with it, I'm just going to work with these 30% who want the magic and logic, and that's I'm changing my business model to only service those. There's no right or wrong, right? It's just you making a decision as to whether or not you want to st stay there. Yes. Well, you can you do do both, and 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 that can, and we'll talk actually right about this coming up next. You can do both for a time, right? Robert, you got a microphone? Okay, we're good now. Are you going to be like my Donahue, Robert? Yes, I will. <laughs> all right, awesome. All right, so we had. I'm going to make you run all the way across over here. The other, <laughs> the other person. Okay, put your hand up. This so is I know who it this is. is part of the Voice America <laughs> program to keep Robert in shape. <laughs> and I need it. Thank you. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I'm loving what you're saying. One thing that I have discovered with myself, and there's that really famous saying, if a sign of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect change. Yep. So it's interesting that you're saying this. I'm in a few scenarios, and I care about the relationship. Yep. I, I care. Mm -hmm. So I know, based on what you're saying, like, I guess I have to change. I need to change my perspective, change how I'm looking at something. Right. I don't want to change. Yeah. I don't like this book. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like trial and error. So I'm right. really interested in how do you figure out what you need to do? Yeah. Other than trial and error, trial and error, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> welcome to life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, but here's, here's, here, it, you got you, you can't measure but you have to you have to you have to think it through at what point does the are the possibilities closing down for these people to change right because you might say look is is it prob there's a difference between possible and probable right is it probable that your customers are going to change no but is it possible that some of them will and then you say okay yes maybe i can start to hone in and concentrate on those few that i think it's even possible for right and then even, even if it's not very probable, right? It's not very probable. But with these guys, it's not, right? And that might be a smaller subset of the 70% or whatever it is that are just looking for magic work. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 did I, I, I never said this is going to be easy, right? Like, so it's good. Yeah. This is hard stuff. Yeah. You don't have to go this far this time, Robert. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. I think one of the big things as well is uh, understanding yourself. 
what are your expectations? How far are you willing to go? Yeah. Um, and uh, just knowing where you're at before you start dealing with your customers. It is. It's, it's, it's self-awareness, and it's certainly also, to a certain extent, it's uh, self-esteem. But like, self-esteem is not winning soccer, all soccer games ending in ties when you're six. Right? That's like not a good, that's not, you can't give people self-esteem. By definition, it's something that you have yourself. Uh, and let me share this story with you about somebody who came to one of my consulting classes, four-day event. Um, her, her name was Michelle, and I, I usually do a U-shape, right? And Michelle sat right in the center of the U. I always remember where people sit. Sometimes I can't remember their names, but I do remember where they're, and Michelle was like right in the middle. And about two days into this stuff that we're talking about, she was a, um, a consultant that only worked with the, the, the Sage um, uh, construction real estate product, right? That's all she did. And she, she said to me, and she was in one of the I states, Iowa, Idaho, one of the I states, can't remember. And, and, but what she said was, she said, Ed, you don't understand. I'm the only one, I'm the only consultant in Iowa that's certified. I have to work for, the, for, for these people who, in, in this state, I have to. I said, Michelle, what if they don't pay you? And they, she says, yeah, some of them don't. So Michelle, <laughs> right, I was like, she, she's like, Ed, you're not getting it. I'm the only one. I have, and you know, my, now I got my pricing hat and I'm going to ching, right? You know, like, and she's like, you're not, I'm the only one, I have to. I said, Michelle, do you, what you're saying is that you are a slave. You, you, you're saying you are a slave. That's what slavery is, having to do work for people and they don't pay you. Like, we had a whole war about that. <laughs> and it's funny, but she, she uh, it, it, it was profoundly sad. She, the, rest of the, the rest of the class, she just sat there. She could not comprehend at all. It was profoundly sad, actually. Profoundly sad. So, anyway, yes, it's self-esteem. It's, it, it's understanding what's important for you and, being, and having the courage to say, yeah, well, I don't want to do work for these nerds anymore. <laughs> Sorry. I got, life's too short. I've got better things to do. What's that? I have no idea. I have no idea. I've, I've lost touch with her after the class. I have no idea. I hope so. <laughs> I'm the only one. Okay, in the back, yeah. Entertaining as always, Ed. <laughs> um, so I was just kind of listening to everything, and I think what it comes down to is the value conversation at the beginning. Yeah. So, like with me... Um, uh, from the beginning of my practice, I always thought about what kind of customer do I want mm -hmm. and what do I want to do. And then um, when I have somebody come into my office or if I'm casually meeting with them, I actually ask what they want and then I talk about um, just just get into a conversation about mm -hmm. You know, not just what we do, but what they're looking for. Yep. And that way you can see if you're um, if you align. Great. And if you don't, maybe it's the wrong person and you should move on. Because I, I think I've taken on just a couple of people who weren't the right fit and I had that gut feeling. Yeah. Didn't work. Yeah. So, yeah. good to move on. Yeah, time to move on. 
All right. I'm only one slide in. <laughs> All right. I, I, happy to continue these conversations. I do have some other stuff that I do want to share with you, so I'm just going to kick on to the some of the next topics. Uh, but if you do have anything that you want to talk about privately uh, on this stuff or, or these questions, please let me know. I'm happy to, to in, engage in that, that conversation. All right. Um, this is, this is also for a Peter Block concept. Not all the stuff we're going to talk about is Peter Block, but much of it is. And he has a, a, a definition of consulting. I, I believe it was Plato who said that all wisdom begins with the definition of terms. Right? So sometimes we just have, like to define a term is, is pretty important. And here's what, when I say consultant... When I say consultant, someone who is in, in the practice, the auto practice of consulting, this is what I mean. Someone who has a person in a position to have some influence, some influence over an individual organization or group, but has no direct authority to make changes. I'm sorry, to make decisions, right? No direct authority to make decisions. Pretty good with that definition, right? Some influence over an individual group or organization, but no direct authority to make decisions. You can't make a decision on their behalf. You can only advise, consult, right? But you can't make a decision for them. Now, I want to, I want to contrast that with, and again, this is a block term. You can use something else if you prefer. A term surrogate manager, who is a person who does make decisions on behalf of or in place of a manager inside an organization, or a leader inside an organization. You see the the, the difference. These you th this is a this is a um, an A is A kind of thing. You cannot be both to an individual customer at the same time. You are either a consultant or a surrogate manager, but you cannot be both by definition. Now I think. One of the important things to note is that you can have an individual strategy within your organization to say, we only want to take on engagements where we are in this consulting role. Right? That's, and, and that, by the way, is my preferred role. I do not like the surrogate manager land. Right? I don't like the making decisions on behalf of or in place of a customer. I find that my power is in helping people make the best possible decisions. Right? That's, that's what my power is. But I don't, I don't want to make the decisions. I want to stay outside the organization and have them make the decision. Now, the challenge, I think, becomes is that far too often we think we're in a consulting role. We think we're in this consulting role. And then all of a sudden, little micro opportunities come up for us. And we start making teeny tiny decisions on behalf of a customer. Like, oh, well, this is how they really want this set up this way. Right? So we make these decisions, and then over time, we, and next thing we know, a year later, we're actually in the surrogate manager role where we're making more and more decisions on behalf of them. Right? Now, again, there's nothing wrong or immoral about surrogate manager versus consultant. It's just that they're different. Which one is more risky? Yeah, surrogate manager, right? Which one should you be paid significantly more for? Yeah, okay, because it's, it's a higher risk position, right? And the danger is that a lot of consultants who start in the consulting role get sucked into surrogate manager land and are all of a sudden over and surrogate, and there's been no change to the relationship, the price structure, 
certainly not the hourly rate, right? Which is completely ridiculous because, you know, decisions which are, are the high value, the magic, right, take are like this. I mean, how long does it take to, act in your brain, actually make a decision? Nanoseconds. But what's the value of the decision one way or the other? You can't put a decision on a timesheet, right? Made decision on this, 0.0001 hours, <laughs> right? But yeah, that is a huge, huge thing. So I, I, I think that, that it's important to note that we, we want to try to pick one and stick with it. Now, you certainly can have a, an organization where you do both, right? Where you where CFO on the go or whatever it is that you, you, know, you want to, and where you are making decisions for some customers and not others. That's a perfectly valid strategy. That's fine. You can have a strategy where you're only surrogate managers. Like we only take on engagements, only, only, only take on engagements where they give us decision making authority. Right? And I'm totally good with that, too. I just think that you need to understand which one you're in and behave accordingly. That makes sense? Right? So we, ha we have to get that down. Now, um, I'm actually going to jump because I want to talk about this. This is where this comes from. This is called as consulting levels. This is, here, this is one of the few things that I did not steal from somebody else. Right? This is like, all, most, all the material that I do, I, well, you know, that's, don't we all, right? One of my favorite books is a book called Human Accomplishment by Charles Murray. Ron Baker, of course, recommended to me. And this guy, Charles Murray, identifies the 4,002, he's very specific, the 4,002 people who have ever innovated. Only these 4,002 human beings have ever really done something innovative, and the rest of us are just living off of them. <laughs> Right? <laughs> They're just, we're, we're free riding off of the, these 4,002 people. So, the, but this is one of the few things that, that you're not, you know, you're not going to see anywhere but an Ed Kless blog or a Veris Age blog or Soul of Enterprise stuff because th this, this emerged out of a, a series of conversations that I was having with consultants. And I call it the Ford model. And that these are different levels of consulting. Different levels of consulting. The first level is findings. You want me to come in and tell you what I found? Happy to do that, right? That's, that's probably the easiest level of consulting. I come in, I ask a bunch of questions, I write up a big report or a presentation, and I say, here's what I found. Here's what I found. Yup, your stuff sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not good. It's bad. <laughs> uh, you, yeah, no, it's a problem, right? Uh, I, by the way, I will give a break after with this topic. Um, so that, 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 the findings. The next level is, okay, I can come in, I can go through, what, here's what I found, and then I can give you some options. I can give you some, here's what you could do. Now, it's not, a, not necessarily a one-to-one -one relationship. You know, it's like findings, for every finding, there's an option, there's a set of options. No, maybe here's a big list of findings, and then here's maybe three options, right? In pricing theory, we call them choices, by the way, so same kind of thing, this is going to be parallel. So we have, here's, here are, the, here are the, some options you could do to correct some of these operational deficiencies that we found, right? And you could do this, you could do this, you could do this. That's just the options. The next level is R, where you then also provide the recommendation, where you say, here are the pros and cons of each option, and maybe if I were you, my recommendation would be I would do the second one. I would do, if, if I were you, I would do number two. 
this is what I would do. And here's why. Here's my rationale for why you should do this. Right? Notice that just this is where the, the timing goes out. This doesn't, doesn't take a... You're, you're probably going to do F, O, and R in your head no matter what, right? No matter what. And then the last level, of course, is to actually make decisions. And this is where you go from consultant to surrogate manager, right? Once you start making decisions on behalf of or in place of uh, the, the leader or manager in the organization, now you're no longer a consultant. Now you're a surrogate manager, right? So this is the, the way that the, the, the layers go. Now, I think it's critically important to ask up front in a consulting engagement, what level of consulting are you looking for from me? Right? What level are you looking for from me? I've, I've used this internally at Sage. I've, oftentimes I'm asked to serve as an internal consultant on a particular project. Right? i got a special project for you, Ed. Could we, we do this? And one of the conversations that I will have with whoever is asking me to do this is, hey, what are you, what are you looking for me to do here? Do you want me to just come in and ask a bunch of questions? Why? Because it, even as an internal consultant, even as, if, I went to, if Ray asked me to do something, Right? And his expectation was that I was going to give him finding options and recommendations, and I just come back to him, and here's what I found. He's going to say, duh, I knew that already. Thanks. Right? I, I, I was looking for a little more here. I was looking for maybe some insight. Okay? You say you're a smart guy, and that's what I'm looking for here. Right? Alternatively, though, the other thing is true, too, right? If I go in with the assumption that he wants finding options and recommendations, and what he really wanted me, from me is, no, I just want to know what I found, and I'm gonna, I, I need to process this through with a bunch of other people, then I'm being a bit forward, aren't I? By presenting my options and recommendations. So I might get even pushback on that. Hey, you're overstepping here, bud. We got this. And there's a lot of other people who are going to have input into this. So it's a good conversation to have up front as to what level are they looking for, right? Now, the trap, as I said on this, is these micro decisions. I think it's easy to see the big decisions, right? Them making a decision on something. But the trap is the micro decisions. The, I don't know, little in innocuous setup windows with box names like check, here to keep keep history, right? Check this box to keep history. You know, and if, if you look at the help system, as they says, you know, if you want to keep history, check this box. Thanks. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> but but what it really means is check this box to keep history and slow the performance of the system down by sixty percent. That's really what it should say, right? Because if you if, if if you keep this history, yes, it will keep history, but it, your performance is going to totally suck. Right? And you know that, right? Well, you checking or not checking that box without taking them through on a micro level, here's what I found, this checkbox. Here are your options, check it or not. Here's my recommendation. There's other ways to get the historical information out of the system without checking the box, and it's going to slow your system performance down by 60%. I recommend that you don't check the box, but it's your decision. <laughs> right? And I think that's where we get stuck. We start to make these little micro decisions for them. Does that make sense? And then all of a sudden, we're sucked in. Right? Well, wh why is the system slowed down? Well, because I checked the box on keep history. Well, why did you do that? Well, I, you needed to. 
really, <laughs> right? So this is where we have to be really careful about this. Is that helpful, this Ford model? Um, one of the things that I, ca I can get, I'll, I'll send it on to Louie and the team so they can send it out, is a, is a, a Word document template that findings, options, recommendations. It, it's just, it, it's, I mean, all it is is headings. It's don't expect much Word template. But at least it gets you thinking. <laughs> it, get, it, get, it helps, I think sometimes just having a, a, a starting point helps, right? Just to, to go through. But having the conversation with people about what level are they expecting from you I think is critically important. Yes? Okay. Let's do, it's 10-12, let's do a 13-minute break. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be back at 10-25, and I'm going to start when I think that there are a majority of people in the room. Okay? That's all. When I think there's a majority, then I'm starting. Or, wait, wait, I should tell you this, or, or, or 10.30, even if there's no one in the room. 